You know, we are, um, we're in such a wonderful place in the Word of God again. Let me just, just uh, ask you to turn with me to chapter 14. As you're turning to Acts chapter 14, I want to, I just want to say what a, what a blessing last week was to me in the way that everyone responded to what took place. Perhaps all of you know, if you weren't here, about 7.30 or so in the morning, I was sitting, kind of just collecting some thoughts, and, and um, boom, all the lights went off. And in, in, in my particular place, where I have a, a little, little office over here, it's, there's no window, so it was dark. I mean, it just got dark as could be. And um, walked outside and saw people scurrying, wondering what's going on. And what we had found out what later, I think I mentioned to you, is that somebody hit a power pole with their car. And we prayed for that person. We don't know. I don't have no idea if they're fine or not. But, but it took off uh, all the power around here for most of the day. It got, uh, got turned back on later in the, in, in the evening. Anyways, what happened that day to me was... Uh, just last Sunday was just the very essence of what we're trying to talk about in the church. How I saw so many just gather together and try to make things work. And how all of you just uh, were quiet and uh, we didn't have any sound, we didn't have any light, so we opened up some doors to give us whatever light we could have. And, and, uh, and, you, and you just were remarkable through the whole process. And so was the people in the second service. Uh, it was just amazing to me how everybody kind of gathered together and kind of made it work. And I even had some response. I wish it was like that every week. You know, just just was a simple, uh, no no uh, sound, uh, n- not a lot of lights, not a lot of flash. You know, that is the truth. I, I that's that would be my favorite kind of church. It was um, I was amazed. My throat didn't hurt at all. Uh, yelled, you know, both services, and uh, people seemed to say they could hear. And uh, that would be my style as well. I, I just feel very comfortable. Uh, the more simple it gets, the better I like it. And uh, anyways, the way you all responded and the simplistic uh, way the service went just was my cup of tea. I just loved every bit of it. And so I want to thank you. You made last Sunday, in my opinion, one of the highlights of my life. It was just remarkable, just remarkable. It was a very fierce message. Um, I, I won't do that all the time, but I felt compelled, and actually I felt I must be obedient to what I thought Paul would have us to do, of course what our Lord would have us to do, concerning his message. And so I um, made some very strong statements last week. This particular week, what we're going to look at in the 14th chapter is... Um, Paul and Barnabas are scurrying about. It's amazing to me how people wanted to take everyone, all of the Christians' lives. It wasn't enough that they were angry with what they were saying. It, it was that they wanted to kill them. And, and so Paul and Barnabas leave the Antioch area and they go to the region of Galatia. They go to Iconium. It is in Iconium that... That, that, that Paul presents the gospel again, as it was his nature. Paul would go, in every city, if there were more than a few Jews, they had a synagogue. It was just part of their law. 
And so what Paul would do, rather than to figure out where will he go and introduce himself to the people in this community, he would go to the synagogue. And tradition had it that a visiting rabbi, a visiting teacher that came, was asked to express what he wanted to express to the people that were there, which gave Paul an automatic introduction to that city, an automatic uh, uh exposure to the people and an opportunity to give the message that he wanted to give concerning Jesus Christ. And so in these places, in the regions that he was in, in, in Galatia, in Iconium, there was, it was like a very, very um, paganistic community. When he r- runs from there and goes to Lystra, He's in a place that they they probably had very little knowledge about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Very little knowledge about what what went on as far as God was concerned. They had their own gods with a small g, G-O-D-S, gods, myriads of them. But as far as knowing the God who created all things, they were ignorant to that. And so Paul and Barnabas used their spiritual gifts to move into the community and to make an impact. And so today's message boils down to will we or will we not use the spiritual gifts that God has given us? And I'm going to uh, reason with you today from Scripture that God has gifted every single one of us And with the gift that he has given to us upon salvation, the moment you come to Christ, we are taught that the Holy Spirit of God gifts you with a spiritual gift so as to be used to build up the body of Christ. We will never be the church that God has asked us to be unless all of us get involved. It's just natural. We need all of us so as to build up one another. Not all of us have the same gifts. I believe, I believe that what, when, when Scripture t- teaches of gifts, I believe that only, only a portion of the gifts are mentioned. I don't, I don't believe it can mention all of the gifts. There are gifts upon gifts upon gifts that are, are, are used within the body of Christ to build us up. And you are a part of that, as I am. Now, let me read um, Acts chapter 14 from verses 1 to 18. And we're going to see the, the travels of, of Paul and Barnabas. Just to remind you, last week we talked about them being kicked out of Pisidian Antioch. If you recall, in the 13th chapter, in the 50th verse, it says, The Jews aroused the, the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city, and they instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they drove them out of their district. It says in verse 51 that Barnabas and Paul shook off the dust of their feet in protest against that city and those people, and they went to Iconium. And this is where we find them now. But it does say in verse 52 that the disciples... The disciples who were left behind in Antioch continually were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And so they they did not leave the city empty. 
there were believers that were left back there that started the work of the church. Now it says, it came about, verse 1 of chapter 14, it came about that in Iconium they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a great multitude believed, both of Jews and of Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided. Some sided with the Jews, some sided with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they, Barnabas and Paul, became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lycona, Lystra, and Derbe, and the surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the gospel. At Lystra, verse 8, there was sitting a certain man without strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who when he had fixed his gaze upon him and had seen that he had faith to be made well, Paul said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And it says in verse 10, he leaped up and began to walk. Verse 11 says, when the multitudes saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles, when Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their robes and they rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying in verse 15, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you. We preach the gospel to you in order that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. And yet he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And it says in verse 18, And even saying these things, with, they with difficulty restrained the crowds from offering sacrifices to them. The people wanted to honor them as gods. G-O-D-S, small g. Paul and Barnabas would have nothing of that. They wanted the people to see Jesus Christ in his purity. And they wanted to know that they were to worship him and him alone. And so he says, we've come to you to turn you away from those other vain things. In other words, those other idols that you've worshipped. Those, those gods like Zeus, those gods like Hermes. We've, 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 we want to turn you away from them because basically, this is me reading into it, that, these gods cannot 
give you everlasting life. These gods cannot remove your sin. There is but only one God. And so what we see is the heart of Paul and Barnabas. And 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 I, I couldn't be more proud than to, to have Paul as one of my uh, heroes. It's interesting, this week, in my studies, I come across a commentary that, that spoke about Paul. There was a, a second century writer by the name Onesiphorus, practiced all week. I blew it last night. So I went back home and practiced again last night. Onesiphorus. He wrote a book about Paul. He spoke of a time where he met Paul in the city square. And he wrote this about Paul. He says, as walking up to him, I found a man small in stature, bow-legged. His eyebrows met in the middle of his forehead. He had a rather large nose and was balding. (laughs) Yet, he said... He was powerfully, strongly built, and he said, even though he was a man, at times he appeared to to have the face of an angel. That's what he wrote about Paul. I I report that to you, not for you, just for my own self. That was something, now I know who to look for, you know, when we get to heaven. Never see some bald-legged guy that's balding with a big nose and eyebrows straight across his forehead. These two men, Paul and Barnabas, are being used mightily by God. Key to this message, I've entitled it, We are people of the same nature as you. You see? Look at verse 15. Paul and Barnabas ran up to these people who were trying to honor them, worship them, and they said, Why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you. What they are saying is, we are sinners saved by grace, just as you must be saved by grace. But what they are saying is more to the generations that come, you and me. They are saying, you can do what we've done. You have the same Nature, you have the same capabilities of doing what we have done in our lives. You too can make an impact upon this world in which we live. And I believe that God wants with all of his heart for you and for me, for this church to make an impact in this community. Oh, that every church that opens its doors this morning would encourage its people to make an impact in this community in which we live. There are far, far, far too many people that have just given up on God, if in fact they've ever went to church. And there's far too many people that are just living their lives going directly to hell. And they might not ever go to a Billy Graham... I I guess I'm going to have to get Billy Graham kind of out of it. He's... He's, uh, is, he's still living, right? Uh, please forgive me. Please forgive me. But I, you know, I don't know what's all going on. But, but, but I don't know how many, how many, um, crusades that he's, he's, he does. 
His son, that's right, Franklin. Well, there are a lot of people who won't go listen to them. They won't come to church. You and I need to be their missionaries. We need to be the voice of God. And we need to use the gifts that God has given us to reach this world for Christ. That's what this message is really all about. We'll concentrate on what Paul and Barnabas did. And I'll make, try to make sense of it, why, they, why these people thought they were Zeus and Hermes and why they wanted to honor them. I mean, they had myriads of gods. Why did they choose these two gods? I, I, have, a, I have an insight to it. I'll, I'll share with you in a moment. Let's pray first. Dear Father, please, open up our eyes, our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, that we might behold wonderful things from your most gracious law, your most wonderful words. Take the one myself, Father, that gives the message. Move me aside, please. Let us see what is said and done by Paul and Barnabas, but most importantly, what you have done through them so as to confirm your word, so as to make make solid the things that you say that we can believe and trust in you by the miracles, the signs, and the wonders that you did through Paul. Please, Father, Allow us to see what you have for us this day out of your most wonderful word, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As I've already said in verse 1, as was his practice, Paul went to the synagogues to share. What we see in verse 1 is the, the magnitude in which God used this, this, this guy, Paul. It says at the end of there, He spoke in such a manner that great multitudes believed. When he spoke, it was as if God was moving these people to trust in him. You and I can have that same same impact if, if we only will use the gifts that God has given us. Now, not all of us are going to be like Paul, you know, that's for sure. But all of us can use the gifts that God has given us. And the power that Paul had was promised by God in Acts chapter 1. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Every single one of us that have believed and trusted in Christ as our Savior have the Holy Spirit living within us. And we have that same power flowing through our veins if we will just be used by God. Now, if you'll note in verse 2, which was common, jealous of the success that Paul had, the Jews. And when it says the Jews, it's talking about the religious leaders. They immediately launched an attack against Paul and Barnabas. It says in verse 5 that they made an, an attempt to stone them, to kill them. The word in Greek, attempt, is H-O-R-M-E. It means to literally rush upon them as an assault, violently to rush at them, to try to capture them, to kill them. In verse 2, we see two very key words. Why these people so distaste, so hated Paul and Barnabas. They were purely jealous of them. It says in verse 2, they... 
the Jews who disbelieved, that's key word, stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them, the Gentiles, against the brethren. In other words, against anyone that would believe in Christ. The word disbelieve is extremely important. It is A-P-E-I-T-H-E-O. It translates, do not obey. In other words, all of them that did not obey the message that was given to them by Paul, all of them were doomed. To not obey the message of Jesus Christ brings wrath upon yourself. Those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ, that wrath is gone. That wrath has been poured out upon from, from God upon His Son, and it will never reach you and me once we trust in Jesus Christ. That wrath does not come upon us, nor does judgment. But for those who do not obey the Word of God, do not obey the command to accept Christ, John says in John 3.36, the person who believes in the Son has eternal life. Okay, that's given. But the person who does not obey, in other words, disbelieves, the Son will not see life. The wrath of God falls upon them. Peter says basically the same thing, but this time about judgment. Another thing that you and I will not have to go through if in fact you've accepted Christ into your heart. Peter says it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And he says, if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey, those who are disobedient to the gospel of God? And so these these people disobeyed. In other words, they did not believe the message that was given to them about Christ. In a moment, I'm going to give you every reason why they should have believed. But it says, also in verse 2, they embittered the people stirring up their minds against them. The word embittered is K-A-K-O-O. In the Greek it means to poison. In other words, they poisoned their thoughts about Paul and Barnabas. They attacked them. They stirred up the people against them. The problem is, in verse 3, they should have known better. What they did was they ignored the very message was from God. Look at verse 3 again. Therefore, they spent long time there, Paul and Barnabas did, speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word by His grace. He was granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. They are seeing miraculous signs being done. They are seeing the divine nature of God through the message that Paul was giving to them. But the, the Jewish leadership, the, the, those that disbelieved what they were saying and were embittered against them, they were poisoning their thoughts. They were, they were making their words foolishness to the townspeople against Paul and Barnabas. Stop right there for a second. Not everyone's going to be enamored by our faith. It should never deter us from trying to share our faith with the people we come in contact with. But some people will turn away from us. They will turn themselves as well as others, if they can, against us, if possible. Disobedience, 
poisoning their thoughts. Knowing that these people now want to stone them to death, Paul and Barnabas, in verses 6 and 7, leave again, like they did out of Antioch. They are now leaving Iconium. They are leaving this city as well. And they flee, it says in verse 6, taking their message to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derbe, and the surrounding areas of Galatia. They are going now deeper away from the communities that would have any knowledge of God whatsoever. They are going into very paganistic towns, places that, that worship gods upon gods upon gods, but have no knowledge of the true living God. And so it says in verse 7, they continued to preach God's word. What made them special was simple to note. They abundantly used the spiritual gifts that God gave them upon salvation. They prophesied, in other words, they proclaimed the word of God. They taught. Paul, I think, had a tremendous ability to make things understandable, feasible, uh, brought it down to our level, so to speak, so that we could comprehend what he was saying about this majestic God that he was talking about. Barnabas had the gift of encouragement. Paul had the, I think both of them had the gift of leadership. It seemed like everywhere they go, they planted churches. And these churches started to flourish. That, that took great leadership. But they also had the apostolic gift of, of miracles and healings. They needed that. They needed that so as to confirm the message. You see, they didn't have the written word. Today, we don't have the apostolic gift of, of miracles and healings. Yes, people will get healed. Yes, there are miracles done, but not with the consistency that we see in the, in the Bible. Not with what we're going to see done to this gentleman that was born lame, couldn't walk from his mother's womb. The guy never took a step in his life. And Paul's going to fix his gaze upon him. We're going to see in a moment, he's going to ask him to get up and walk. We don't have that today so much. But listen to this, church, please. When it comes to Christ, He has gifted you and me with a special God-given gift. And He expects you and me to use this gift that He has given to us as if He were here physically with us. So that He would empower us to do what He desires to accomplish in and through our lives. It's a privilege. It is, it is, in my opinion, apart from salvation, my wife's not here, let me say this, apart from having a great wife, one of the greatest privileges that a person can realize is that they are being used by God and empowered by God as if He were standing alongside of you. You will receive my power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You see, the effective ministry of any body of believers, a church, a group of people, demands, demands, folks, that you and I collectively function in our spiritual gifts. Look, I want you to look at, we're going to look at two different places. Hold your place here in Acts. Look to the right to the book of Romans, chapter 12. 
After Romans, we'll go one more book to the right and we'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But look at Romans chapter 12. Paul himself writes these words. He says in verse 3, 12.3, Romans 12.3, For through the grace given me, grace, unmerited favor, given to Paul, I say to every one of you, not to think more highly of yourselves than you ought to think but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allowed it to each a measure of faith. What Paul is saying, let me stop there just for a second. What he is saying in verse 3 is, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, because it is not you who is doing what you're doing. It is God doing it through you. So there's no need for you to get all puffy that you're someone special here on this earth. Every single one of us has been given a gift. Don't use that gift thinking, wow, I am God's gift to this earth. No, no, you are just a person being used by God. And if we can come to God with that mindset, God will powerfully use us. Look, look what he says in verse 4. Here's to kind of uh, validate what I just said. Because he says in verse 4, just as we have many members in one body, all the members do not have the same function. We don't function the same. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace that has been given to us, each of us, note there in verse 6, each of us, each of us is to exercise our gifts accordingly. You and I have gifts. God has gifted us. We need to use these gifts so as the body of Christ can be all that God has asked us to be. Then Paul gives us a list of some gifts, not, not even close to all of them. But he says, if you have prophecy, in other words, if you can proclaim the word of God, do so in proportion to your faith. If you serve, do it in serving. We saw this last week, people just clamoring to help. Because we had a problem here in the, in the grounds. Everybody was doing something to make things work. The one who exhorts in verse 8. In other words, to encourage, do so. Encourage. The person who gives. You see, giving is also a spiritual gift. If you have that gift, do it with liberality. In other words, give, give much. You need to know that there is the gift of giving. Now, not all of us have that gift. But it doesn't negate the fact that every single one of us, each, every person here is to give unto the Lord. But there are some people here that they can't, they, they got to tie their things down or they're going to give everything away. We have a person here you don't know. Someone had to know. I was one the the person that they chose to tell because they had to give what they were going to give to our church and it had to be through the, the, the church that has given over, in these three years that we've been here, has given over $300,000 to make us go, to hold us together so that we could have the sound equipment that we desire, so we could have the, the decorations, so we can have this. One of these days we're going to have our, our services um, videoed and so we can put it on online and, and have it video online. 
And, and, and this person wants to give more, wants to give. Now, you and I haven't given $300,000 to this church more than likely, but it doesn't negate the fact that we're to give. But under the gift that God has given some of us, which I, I think my wife has, which I don't, and so it's a, you know, that's a battle right there, you know. Let's give, let's wait, let's be careful. Let's give, no, you know. But she has taught me, what I've learned about giving has not been so much reading out of the Bible, but watching my wife. And, and I've, seen the, I've seen the benefits that we've received because we faithfully have given over the years, thanks to my wife. The person that leads, it says in verse 8, lead with diligence. In other words, diligently do this. The person who shows mercy... Do it with a cheerful heart. In other words, these gifts were given to be used. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 now. While you're turning there, would you listen to me what Peter says concerning gifts? Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10, Each one, each one has received a spiritual or a special gift. Each one has received a special gift. Every single one of us. And he says, therefore, employ it. In other words, use it in serving one another. Be a good steward of the manifold grace of God. We are encouraged all over Scripture, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, to use what God has given us for the benefit of the body of Christ. I will never be all that God wants me to be apart from you helping me grow. We need that within the church. Look what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, first verse, now concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be unaware. In other words, I want you to know what you have here when you receive your spiritual gift. Look at verse 4. There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of ministries and the same Lord. There are a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. In other words, what he is saying is the same, the same Lord gives these gifts to each one of us. They're all going to be different or they're going to be different. And he says there are a variety of effects. Best example is when we were back in, I think, Acts chapter 8. I think it was when, when, um, when uh, Paul went to uh, Damascus. And he was on the street called Straight. And there, there was a certain disciple named Ananias. Remember, the Lord said to him, Ananias, I want you to go to Paul. And I want you to tell, lay your hands on Paul. And he's going to regain his sight. Ananias had a gift. God used Ananias in the life of Paul. We don't hear about Ananias ever again in Scripture. Don't know what the effect of his ministry was. We just know that he was obedient to what God asked him to do in the life of Paul. What do we know about Paul? We know a lot about Paul. Paul's effectiveness in ministry was, humanly speaking, tremendous. He did a lot. In the eyes of God, which one is more important, do you believe, as far as uh, God's loving him and caring for him? Which one, Ananias or Paul, is more important to God? I say to you, they're similar. They're the same. 
They're equal. Their effects are different, but our Lord's love for them is the same. The same with you and me. There'll be some of us here that'll, some of you here that'll do great things. Some of us won't do as much. But are we willing to use the gifts that God has given us? Look what he goes on, Paul does, goes on to say in this particular chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says in verse 11, The one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. It's his choice. That's why when Paul said, I don't want you to think so highly of yourself. I don't want you to kind of get all puffed up about what you do. It is God who gave it to you. It is God who is working through you. Look at verse um, 18 and then we'll, we'll just close this up with this thought. It says, God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. Now, There is absolutely no more sad thought in my mind to think that I have become a believer in Jesus Christ. And I have. I have asked Christ into my heart. Forgive me my sins. I did that March the 12th, 1973. I made a point to remember the time and the date because somehow, someway, I thought that was going to be important. And I cannot tell you how valuable knowing when I did that was to me and is to me. Here's why. I'll give you a little insight. I, I mess up. I really mess up sometimes. I, I, I fade away sometimes from my faith. And I need to remind myself that I am a child of God. What am I doing acting like I'm acting? I need to remind myself that I asked Christ into my heart. I even know the time and the date. It's no mistake. I asked Him on March the 12th, 1973 to be my Lord and my Savior. And what in the world am I doing acting like this? And I ask the Lord to forgive me. I don't ask Him to come into my heart. I just ask Him to forgive me for the way I am acting so that I can be the man that God has called me to be and for the life of me, folks. For the life of me. I can't imagine you and or me having the privilege of having this eternal life and not giving back to God a measure, some measure of our thanks to Him for what He has done for us. And the best way that you and I can give back a measure of our thanks to Him for what He has done for us is by using the spiritual gift that He has given to us. That is the best and the the most priceless way that you and I can honor God. By using what He has given to us so as to build up the body of Christ. Look what Paul says. uh, Oh, wow. Did I ask you to leave 1 Corinthians? I did. I did. Let me read this to you. Uh, I'm sorry, I I missed it. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me get back there and, and, and read to you. He says in verse 7, I already read it to you. Each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. You are needed in my life. Like it or not, I am needed in your life. For the common good, we have been given gifts. So as to build each other up. Now, let's go back to Acts. Um, excuse me, yeah, Acts chapter 14. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 is an important verse. I believe 
that it's not a mistake. Of course I believe it's not a mistake that this man was sitting there lame from his mother's womb. In verse 8 it says, at Lystra, when they got to Lystra, this town, now you've got to remember, this town was as paganistic as they come. There was a man sitting there. He had, it says in verse 8, no strength in his feet. He was lame from his mother's womb. He had never walked. God is going to use this man for Paul and for God's word through Paul. Luke's description of this man only emphasizes the hopelessness of his body. He was crippled from birth. Everyone in town knew him. He has never once taken one step unable. His, his legs wouldn't, hand, wouldn't handle it. Therefore, he is very important to Paul. Paul is going to do a miracle upon this man's life for one reason only. To confirm the message that he is about to give to the folks at Lystra. He is going to heal this man so that the people will realize that Paul is speaking from God Almighty. And so, in verse 9, we are told something very interesting. There are words, this man was listening to Paul. In the Greek, the word listen means to consistently, constantly. He was there every day. Anytime Paul was speaking, he had somebody carry him and lay him beside so he could listen to Paul. And Paul looks upon him and it says, Paul saw him as having faith to be made well. The reason Paul saw him as having faith is because he was consistently there every time Paul spoke, listening to the word of God. And so in verse 10, this person, this man, who has never taken a step in his life, Paul looks at him and with a loud voice, you know why he used a loud voice? He wanted everyone's attention. Paul wanted their attention not so that he could be honored, but so that they could see what God was going to do through him in this man's life. And so he said to this man with a loud voice, stand upright. And get on your feet. And everybody would have gone, you're kidding. Him? He's never walked a day in his life. He's never stood up a day in his life. And it says immediately, promptly, right away, this man leaped up and began to walk. Can you imagine what took place in that city? I mean, they had never seen anything like this before. They have never heard the message that Paul was giving. And now they are being confirmed that what he is doing is of God, except they don't see it as from God. They see it as this guy and his partner are like the gods who have been here before. Look what it says. Where is it? In verse um, the verse 11. Multitudes saw what Paul did. They raised their voice. And they said in Lyconian language, the gods have become like men. And they have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because Paul was the chief speaker. But let me tell you what this is all about. Folklore tells us, tradition tells us, that in Lystra, there was a a Roman poet that wrote this poem concerning Zeus and Hermes. His name was Ovid, this Roman poet. 
And he wrote that the, the gods, Zeus and Hermes, came to Lystra long ago, and they came unnoticed, unrecognizable, incognito. And they came and they went from doorstep to doorstep, from home to home, asking for food, water, and lodging. Everybody turned them down, except for one couple. The poorest couple in town. A guy by the name of Philemon and his wife Bacchus, I think, B-A-U-C-I-S. They said, come in with us, we will feed you with the meager, what we have, and you can stay at our poor and humble home. Zeus and Hermes left, and they sent a flood into the city of Lystra and drowned every person except Philemon and his wife, Bacchus, whatever her name is. He went, they went, these gods came down, and they, they made their shack into a palace. And they allowed them to be the prince and the princess of Lystra. And when they died, they became two stately trees that grew in the middle of the city. That was the folklore. So determined not to miss this opportunity, not to repeat what their ancestors did, they thought that Barnabas was Zeus. They thought that Paul was Hermes. And they started honoring him. Not to be undone. To me, it's funny. Verse 13. Not to be undone. There's a, a priest of Zeus who's on the outskirts of town. He might not have been there. He come running in with, a, with an oxen and some garland, and he wanted to offer sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas, thinking maybe they're Zeus, maybe they're Hermes. I'm not going to die in a flood. Let's honor them. <laughs> so when Paul and Barnabas saw what was happening, they became indignant. Uh, is this, I don't know what word to use. They tore their robes, it says in verse 14. They, they ran into the crowd and they said to the people, why are you doing this to us? We're men with the same nature as you. We're all in this together. That's what we try to say here at this church. None of us is more important than another person here at this church. It just isn't so. But each of us is important. Each of us is needed within the church to be all that this church has been called by God to be. And so they tore their robes. It was a common Jewish gesture. It showed disgust over what they were doing. And what they tried to do in verses 15, 16, and 17 is to direct the people back to the God, the living God that they've been telling them about. The God who made, it says in verse 15, the heavens and the earth. The God who made the sea and everything that is in them. But it says in verse 18, even saying all of these things, they still had difficulty restraining the people from honoring them. The impact of this miracle over this one man who was lame was almost too strong for Paul and Barnabas to counter. But don't you know that the people listened to their voices after that? They had never ever seen or heard anything like Paul and Barnabas before. And what Paul and Barnabas did is the same thing you and I are to do. When people say to you, boy, you are something else. You are, you know, if you'll do something for a person. You are the best thing that's ever happened to me since sliced bread. 
I don't know if that's a good saying or not. You and I are to take their attentions off of us and show them Christ. I say to you over and over again, if you have someone you're sharing Christ with and they're doing something really terrible, despicable, don't try to stop them from doing what is terrible and despicable. Tell them about Jesus Christ. He is the one who will stop them from doing what is terrible and despicable. By the grace of God, if you were to stop them from doing what is terrible and despicable, they're going to think they did it on their own self-will and they'll never think they need any, any God to help them. They did it on their own. One of the most self-disciplined men I've ever met in my life. It's Tommy, Lasorda. I mean, he stopped. Whatever he, is, he did, he stopped doing it. Self-discipline. Self-discipline doesn't help you or me. What helps you and me is our reliance upon Lord, the Lord to, to make us into the people He wants us to be. You and I can be used as effectively as Paul and Barnabas. All we need to do is desire to be used by Him and to allow Him to use the gift that He has given us. Now, you might say, what's my gift? Well, you come to basic rock. Come to basic rock and we'll give you, a, I don't know if it's a test as much as it is just a, an indicator of where your gifts might be. But here's my thought on it. What would you do if you could? What would you do here to serve the Lord? What would be your desire? Some would say, well, I'd love to set up the chairs or I would love to work the sound booth or I would like to park the cars or I would like to preach the message. Do what it is you want to do. Now, if you have the gift, because the way... Uh, I don't want to get into that. But that is, that is the decision that you must make to be used by God so that God may honor you. More importantly, so that He might build all of us up to be all that God wants us to be. Thank you, Father, for this time. Thank you for... Uh, for Bill and Mike, uh, Pastor Bill and Pastor Mike, and uh, just their faithfulness and desire to be used by you. And thank you for the different people in this church last week when we had the problem with our power. Thank you, dear Father, for um, allowing us to have the privilege, Father, of seeing so many people be used by you. Uh, bless us all as we go from here. Thank you for this particular day. And... Uh, we love you so much, Father. And I love these people so much, Lord. Thank you for them. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Have a wonderful day. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for coming.